We're talking pigs' ears and Brexit on the programme this week. <laughs> I'm saying nothing. Subsidies are going to be reformed, mm. we all know that. The pace of change really is incredible. Technology, drones, GPS. Plus, later, possible reform of inheritance tax. What might that mean for agriculture, though? Make sure that you've looked at all the tax changes and you know what's coming up so you're not going to leave your relatives with any nasty surprises. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. As we mentioned at the end of last week's programme, a seminar took place on Thursday in Beverley, focusing on what the future holds for farming families with Brexit approaching. It was hosted by Wilkin Chapman Solicitors. Catherine Harris is head of Agri there. We'll hear from her in a moment. She chaired the seminar. First, James Lloyd. He's a partner in agriculture who was one of the speakers. What we've seen, actually, we've, we've over the last year or possibly a little bit more, is, is uh, uh, some changes which are actually coming out of the fact that Brexit is coming. So we found that some people wish to either uh, remove themselves from uh, from uh, farm businesses or alternatively uh, restructure to allow for what changes might come uh, uh, come ahead it's an essential part of business planning um, not just to look at uh, what is actually going on on the ground on a day-to-day basis but to look at the longer term uh, part of the business and how and this how that structure will work in future in order that you don't tie yourself in knots when those changes which we uh, are, some of which we're aware of and some of which we're not aware of um, take place in future at the end of the day business is essentially about risk and reward and this is about managing the risk by giving yourself the necessary flexibility to be able to um, to deal with those issues in future do you find Catherine um, a lot of particularly farming are, are thinking well we're not quite sure what's happening with Brexit yeah there's a, there's a lot of questions that we should be asking but it's easier to avoid it at the minute we'll deal with it later but later never comes and when it does it's going to be too late yeah, I mean, that that is the case, Sean. And um, some of those questions are really quite hard questions. Um, and But you tend to find if one family member's thinking about it, then a lot of other family members are. And it's going to... It goes to the core of the question is, why am I doing this? Um, why am I struggling to survive? I'm asset rich and cash poor. And, you know, subsidies are going to be reformed. Mm. We all know that. Um, we're all pretty certain that they're going to go down. And so, you know, that 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 income is going to go. Um, we're also in a great period of change at the moment. Um, I read uh, Michael Gove's speech, The Age of Acceleration, at the Oxford Farming Conference. And, you know, the pace of change really is incredible. Um, you know, te- technology, drones, GPS, um, robotics. Um, and there's, there's no doubt um, that there's going to be increasing emphasis on the environment. And actually, um, certain types of farms are, have got what Michael Gaves calls natural capital and can really capitalise on that and, and make the most of that as part of their succession planning other farms can't there's a real mixture out there and i think the key is that all of these farms um need to be looked at in the round because you know agriculture makes up 70 percent of the uk land mass 
and um, it's an important part of um, producing self-sufficient, you know, our self-sufficiency for the UK, and that needs to be considered. And I know the NFU are looking at that um, as part of the, the reforms going forward. Um, but you know, Sean, those just going back to your original question, those those succession issues, they they are difficult, and I think. I was just discussing with James earlier, actually, that what we think we might see, just trying to make some predictions for the future, um, we think some farmers may farm smarter, mm-hmm. use different agreements. There's all manner of ways of farming. It's not just partnership or companies. It's share farming, and you've got flexibility as to how you do that. We might see neighbours coming more together, and um, we'll see you know, um, innovation and diversification as well. And, you know, diversification is is going to be key for many farmers. But, you know, that needs to be looked at really carefully because if you're changing the use of land from agriculture to business, you're going to be into business rates. It's going to affect agricultural property relief availability. So, um, yeah, that needs to be looked at carefully and advice taken from solicitors and accountants. And, James, I guess, the, you know, the first bit of advice is talk to someone get you know have those discussions now even if you don't decide anything straight away at least start those discussions soonest it's about taking advice from all types of sources in order to make that decision so it's not just lawyers it's also the accountants the land agents the uh, and the bankers etc um all of whom need to have their input and then need and those inputs then need to be considered together um so that everybody knows what's going on so that the decisions which are made deal with the issues which all those professionals might uh, consider and, and there might be and that's the point there are there might be some technical complexities which you might not be aware of uh, which each of those professionals can pinpoint and then deal with at the beginning rather than coming to a decision and then finding further down the line that somebody says that uh, that's not a good idea um, so yeah anticipation is is clearly a key James Lloyd and Catherine Harris from Working Chapman. Another area discussed at that event on Thursday was news in the week that inheritance tax could soon be reformed. The Office for Tax Simplification has said it's looking at the release of agricultural land on death, an issue that could have huge implications for those in farming. Leslie Archer is also a partner with the company. It's a reform that's long overdue. But one of the areas that they will be looking at are the reliefs that people get, the agricultural property relief, business property relief. Many clients are perhaps aware of deeds of variation, so that after somebody dies, we can vary a will or um, the rules surrounding what happens if you don't have a will. But in limited circumstances, it's a great tax planning tool, but it's, it's generally been felt for a long time that it is something that will be challenged in the future. And these these reforms that that were announced this week, I mean, they could have an impact, couldn't they, for those in agriculture? They could have a huge impact. Um, A lot of clients may not have looked at their tenancy agreements. They may not be aware of the fact that agricultural property relief isn't always paid 100% in any case, that there are cases when it's only paid at 50%. Um, But the government may challenge this more, and it may be that in the future they're not going to get all the valuable reliefs they think they're going to get. Succession planning is one of those things, isn't it? Nobody likes to think of, I'm not going to be around forever, and you know things can happen. But when you're in a particularly a family farm, it's crucial, isn't it? Because it can tear families apart, can't it, if you get it wrong? Absolutely crucial, yes. Often it's trying to get a balance between 
those members of the family that run the farm that want to carry on farming and those that aren't involved in the farm and that can be a really difficult calculation for clients how to balance the two different sides of the family the big thing is make a will along with looking at partnership agreements trusts a lot of farmers know that they jointly own land with their partners but they don't know whether it's jointly owned within the partnership or outside the partnership they don't know if it's held as joint tenants or tenants in common and that can have a huge impact as to what's going to happen to that land when somebody dies so really you should be looking at all of these things together and keep them under review make sure that you've looked at all the tax changes and you know what's coming up so you're not going to leave your relatives with any nasty surprises no one wants a nasty surprise. That's uh, Leslie Archer at Wilkin Chapman. Time for a pleasant, well, not really a surprise, because she's here quite often. It's uh, good to see her. Rebecca Piss from Open Field with the latest news this week. Morning, Rebecca. What's happening? Good morning, Sean. A quieter week this week, I feel, as the trade digested last week's USDA report and continued to keep a close eye on weather around the world. Showers across the US plains and rain forecast in Eastern Europe have sent new crop wheat values lower this week, with Chicago wheat at three-week lows and London wheat futures for November down versus a week ago. Prices at the farm gate are drifting. With news of imports due July and first half August, we could well see harvest values weaken at some point. The latest weekly crop ratings from a French analyst show the percentage of French winter wheat crops rated good to excellent at 78%, unchanged on the week, and winter barley crops at 77% good to excellent, also unchanged. Of course, things can change very quickly, and I always say keep an eye out for opportunities. However, speaking with some of my growers this week, many are uncertain over what Harvest 2018 will bring and are therefore reluctant to edge any more forward. Looking at old crop markets now for those farmers with grain left to market this season and there is very little fresh news I'm afraid. The wheat market remains firm but flat with consumers covered for May shifting the focus to their June and July requirements with those in the north of the UK still achieving the highest ex-farm values. Demand for milling wheat seems to have eased in the short term with rumours of imported German bread making wheat coming into the northwest of the UK. As a result, premiums on old crop parcels have edged a little lower this week and are currently circa 10 to 12 pounds a ton area dependent. Whilst the domestic old crop oilseed rate market saw a little buying interest this week, the sentiment remains very bearish, with continued imports fulfilling the demand into Erith and rumours that the crush based at Hull may have finished buying now for the season, leaving any seed left on farm in Lincolnshire and Yorkshire potentially having to travel all the way to Liverpool. As a result, old crop values continue to trade in a similar range to previous weeks, showing no signs of trading any higher. Whilst I may be bearish on old crop, new crop oilseed rate markets have seen support of late due to concerns surrounding potential crop output, a lack of sellers and some buying interest. In other news, in the past fortnight, Brent crude has hit near four-year highs, sitting just below $80 a barrel. And so far in May, diesel prices have averaged their highest prices since December 2014 at near 130 pence a litre. Food for thought if you're filling up this weekend. Let's have a look at prices now, starting with old crop feed wheat for June, which is trading circa 153 to £160 a tonne, area dependent, with milling wheat premiums for full-spec group ones around 10 to £12 a tonne. 
Wheat values off combine are around 140 to 147 pounds a ton, with a carry through to November, where prices are 147 to 153 pounds a ton. Demand seems to have drastically eased on feed barley, so for old crop parcels left on farm, get in touch with your local open field farm business manager. Looking ahead to harvest and off combine barley values, they're trading circa 133 to 138 pounds a ton, with 140 pounds a ton achievable for November. Oilseed rate values remain fairly flat, with prices between 283 and £287 a tonne X-Farm for June, with north of £280 a tonne achievable off combine and circa £295 a tonne available for November 18. One last thing to note this week is that the trade are still very much waiting on the release of new season fertiliser terms, so watch this space. Now, we were discussing succession planning earlier on the programme. Let's say hello to our crop doctor, Sean Sparling. Have you uh, planned your succession, Sean? Not that you're going anywhere just yet, of course. Yes, good morning, Sean. No, succession planning applies to all of us. I mean, I turned a very youthful 53 a couple of weeks ago, and I have to now think that in about 35 years' time, when I can afford to think about retiring, I need to find somebody who will do the job the way I've done it, who can take over my clients so they get continuity of service and, and advice, and, you know, I have to think about all those things now. There's no good me being on my way to uh, the coast to live out my days in a little shack on the beach somewhere thinking, oh, heck, hang on a minute, I'm covered my customers. I need to find someone to look after them from next week. Um, so uh, I don't think you can start early enough with succession planning. And having a plan in place makes an awful lot of sense to me because you can always change your plan if you've got one in place. Um, right, let's just talk about the weather because it's been complicated this week. Monday, 22 degrees. I was walking fields stripped to the way getting my legs nice and brown by Wednesday we're down to 14 degrees with a frost Wednesday night with a frost Thursday night and that's complicated things particularly but not exclusively to emerging sugar beet because it can affect the bigger sugar beet as well but when you've got sugar beet at cotyledon not even fully expanded where they're pricking through the ground until they get to what we call peri-emergence which is when the cotyledons are fully expanded and the new leaf buds are present in the center of the plant the only leaves that plant has are those cotyledons if you kill them take them out scorch them the implications for yield damage are quite high so it's vitally important not only you pick the right herbicide that's not too caustic on a small crop i always try and pick uh, a herbicide on a small crop which is kind to the crop it's going to suppress the weeds and hold them for a couple of weeks until those plants get bigger to perry and start throwing out true leaves which is when i can step up the level of activity and the the harshness of the pesticides i use to control the weeds in those crops Um, and it's very very important particularly this week we had a frost one degree it got down to Wednesday into Thursday and by Thursday afternoon we're back up to 21 degrees. That means it's a 20 degree ambient and it's not the severity of the frost, that's only just above freezing, it's how quickly it thaws out. When you've got an ambient like that and temperatures raise rapidly in the morning, that's when you get crop damage if you're spraying herbicides in amongst those frosts. So just be very very careful while you're out there in the sugar beet. And also, don't be tempted to use a coarse droplet, an air induction, a bubble jet when you're spraying sugar beet herbicide we're using low doses of chemical in low volumes of water we're hitting tiny little targets if you put a coarse droplet on we can't see it with the naked eye but those droplets will bounce off the weeds you'll get speckling but you will not get weed control and it's vital you take the weeds out of the equation to allow the sugar beet to grow through and grow away from any competition so 
just get your man out at two o'clock in the morning to go spraying before the wind comes up. Always going to be better, always going to be better than using a coarse air induction type nozzle uh, to go and spray in slightly windier conditions. Uh, winter wheat, winter barley, they've moved so quickly. Winter barley, flag leaf sprays going on here, fully emerged in some of these crops now. Winter wheat, I took a photograph, it's on my Twitter feed at SAS Agronomy. I took three photographs, one on the 1st of May, one on the 9th, one on the 16th of May, and the ear has gone from being 6 millimetres long on the 1st of May to 104 millimetres long on the 16th of May. 15 days and it's gone from 0 to 4 inches. So don't just assume that because you put your T1 spray on 10 days ago, you've got another three weeks before you need to panic about flag leaf. You don't. It's all to do with leaf emergent. Timing is everything. You, want, you need to protect the flag leaf as it emerges. If that happens 14 days days after t1 so be it but you need to get your fungicide on at the right time don't delay and remember that um, clothalanil the multi-site inhibitors can slow down the activity of some of the triazoles in a curative situation so talk to your agronomist about which is the right way to proceed always choose one of the best possible triazole so epoxyconazole prothioconazole use a good robust 80 percent minimum dose on those because the septoria is moving the rust moving yellow and brown the mildew's moving all of these things need to be taken into account use a good quality sdhi there's a lot of them out there but remember you are always going to be in a curative situation on leaf two if you timed leaf your t1 properly you've hit leaf three therefore leaf two will come out completely unprotected and when you go for your flag leaf you're protecting leaf one um, so you're always going to be curative on leaf two there will always be an element of disease in that leaf that is unprotected so just Think very hard about it. Pick the right product. There's a lot out there um, and keep these crops clean. Um, but remember, you don't need wet weather for uh, septoria to spread. The, like children with nits, if their hairs touch, it'll spread septoria. And these crops are big and bulky and they are moving very, very quickly. So don't just assume. Um, oilseed rape as well grew very quickly, as we've said. We've got a lot of stem cracking. That's an easy way in for sclerotinia. So if you put a flowering fungicide on a fortnight ago, any flowers that have come out since then will be unprotected. Therefore, if they drop off, stick on the crack, you're going to get botrytis, grey mould, that allows sclerotinia in. So you may need to put another protectant fungicide and azoxystrobin or a boscolid on now. Potatoes, as they come through the ground, we're in blight infection weather at the moment. Smith periods are happening. Thundery weather, that's blight infection period. So blight doesn't care whether the potatoes are pricking through the ground or at full canopy. You need to start those programmes and speak to your advisor about mixing the chemistry with your blight protection programs and don't put all your eggs in one basket as it comes to that peas and beans pea and bean weevil still out there working still time to put bentazone on spring beans and peas and mcpb on peas you need to have that done before any buds are enclosed um winter bean chocolate spots still active out there and brookid beetle now becoming a threat because the first pods are being set in the winter beans linseed we're dealing with Flea beetle, quite bad in certain areas. Also getting herbicides on uh, linseed at the moment. Remember, you've got until 15 centimetres tall to put broadleaf weed and clethodim. You can use Centurion Max on linseed. And you need an interval of uh, 14 days between the two, particularly if you're using a sulfonylurea-based broadleaf herbicide. And spring barley and spring wheat absolutely romping through the growth stages. I left my first ticket for T1 on spring barley the other day. Um, so what I'd just like to say is I tip my hat and take my hat off to anybody who is managing to keep up with this season <laughs> absolutely thank you sean sean sparling of sparling agronomy services
The new county show season got underway last weekend, as you'll know if you caught last week's programme. It was also the Pig and Poultry Fair at Stonely Park in the week, so let's talk pigs, because one of the early winners of the county show season, picking up a number of rosettes at last weekend's Nottinghamshire show, was pig breeder Julie Johnson from Newark with her Mayrose herd, Pedigree Berkshires. We've got the champion traditional uh, pairs. We have got the champion traditional um, male um, in the, that. We've got the cha- brood champion for the Berkshires with our sow. Uh, everything that went into the ring came out with something. Yeah. yeah, which is good. And obviously this is the start of the show season as well, so that's a good sign, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it is. Hopefully we'll sort of follow that on. Um, we're at Stafford next, and then obviously we'll be at Lincolnshire show. So we'll be there as well, hoping that you can never can tell, but hopefully we'll pick up some more prizes along the way. Tell us a bit about the, the pedigree Berkshire then, the breeds. They're, they're an old traditional pig. They go back to Victorian times. They're known as the ladies' pig. Uh, Queen Victoria had quite a big herd. They're quite sort of a gentle type of pig. Um, so they're, they're black. They have the uh, five white features on them. Um, they've got a high uh, fat ratio which makes them great for our hog roast business on there. And it's lovely, succulent. Um, people tell us it's the old-fashioned type pork, and they have it. So, yeah. Really what nice. made you choose this breed? Um, because they were easy to look after, I suppose, really. Um, my partner, Chris, he'd had um, a commercial herd a few years ago, and he decided he wanted to get another pig. So we looked around and saw the Berkshires, and we liked the Berkshires. So we went for those, and because they were a rare breed, we wanted to keep something going that was sort of dying out a little bit. So it's another reason I went for them, because of the rare breed ones. It is important, isn't it, to keep those breeds alive, keep them going, really? Yeah, it is, because you've got the great big commercial herds, but it's nice to have the, the, the real traditional ones out there. And people think of pigs as being little white things, but, then, you know, we've got the, the Berkshires, which is the black with the five points, so yeah, keeping that traditional thing going. And they're all, we keep them outside, so they're outdoor re- reared and outdoor bred. So they get a good old life before they go on the spit. <laughs> you mentioned the spit there. You mentioned about the business as well. It's, it's kind of a hog roast business you've got. So you're obviously breeding the, the pigs and taking them through to the end product of the business as well. Yeah, it is, which is a, is a good thing. The pig prices go up and down. But ours, we, because we see them through to the end, um, we sort of make the most out of them as, as we can. We do about 75 or so hog roast a year and the Berkshires go on to that. So it sort of funds itself. The, the hog roast funds the showing. So the, the two things run hand in hand, which is nice. And, and how, it, long, how long has it been going for the business? Hog roast, what is it? Eight, eight years? Right. Yeah, so we're an established hog roast. Um, you know, we do the, the top of the range stuff, we do the weddings and the, the events and things like that. So, yeah, people prepare to pay sometimes a little touch more for a premium product, having a sort of, and they like the provenance of where the pigs have come from on there. And the fact that you keep them outdoors as well and they, you know, they run around around the farm. That, a lot of people are attracted to that as yeah, well. Yeah, they, they? They, they do like that. And we, we have, from time to time, have people come and have a look at the pigs. Um, not choose the pig that they're going to have on the hog roast, but, they, you know, they come and have a look and chat about them, which is, which is nice as well. Julie Johnson there, and you'll be able to see her award-winning Mayrose Herd pedigree Berkshires at both Staffordshire and Lincolnshire shows over the next few weeks. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, it looks like that dry spell is continuing through the rest of this week, by the looks of things. Anyway, uh, we had all that rain falling at the wrong time. Now it's quite dry. I know one or two farms would like a little bit of rain. Just enough, please. Today, plenty of sunshine, 19 Celsius. The wind from the southeast at about 7 miles an hour. It's dry and clear overnight tonight as well. We're looking at lows of 8 Celsius. The wind more from the east 
between 5 and 8 miles an hour. Some sunshine tomorrow, but it will cloud over through the day. 19 the high, staying dry. The wind continuing from the east at about 15 miles an hour. And then that cloud clearing again, first thing on Tuesday. Clear skies, temperatures down to 9. The wind more from the north, between 10 and 15 miles an hour. Tuesday and Wednesday look very similar, actually. Both sunny, temperatures around 20 Celsius. The wind from the north, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Overnight lows starting Wednesday, a little bit cloudy with around 10 degrees. And then the latter end of the week looks like more dry spell, plenty of sunshine, highs at 20, overnight lows of 8 or 9 Celsius. So that's a pretty sunny, dry forecast by the looks of things. That's ever it can change. We'll keep you updated with the hourly forecast. Next week, we've got quite a frank discussion with agricultural chaplain Alan Robson, partly following on from our Brexit discussion earlier. We can't avoid it. It's time to face some home truths about the changes heading agriculture's way. I'm not sure everybody totally gets the um, complexity of issues uh, that are going to hit. So it is a bit, well, we've weathered this storm and we've weathered that storm and so this is just another one and we'll weather it. Um, But the implications on, you know, if you look at farming debt, for instance, how many are borrowed, uh, how how much money is borrowed on crop, on fertilisers, on machinery, on bank loans. That's next week. Until then, have a good week on the farm.